Hello everybody, my name is Tim Riley Walsh and I'm the curator of the exhibition and publication On Fire, Climate and Crisis here at the Institute of Modern Art. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I am standing today, as well as pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I am standing in the first gallery space of On Fire, Climate and Crisis, which is a three-part exhibition and it's an exhibition that was conceived in response to and during the events of the Black Summer bushfires of 2019 to 2020. This exhibition is a reaction to those events, but it's also a consideration of how Queensland as a state is understood and recognised in relation to its climate. So often when we think of Queensland, we think of Queensland's identity and culture as being synonymous with both uh, its extreme weather events as well as its wet-inducing climes, as well as an idyllic and benign paradise. On Fire instead proposes that we are entering into a more precarious stage, one that's fueled by global warming and the events of Black Summer are indelibly linked to the impacts of global warming. So this show presents the work of 15 contemporary Queensland artists, a mixture of emerging, established and posthumous voices. And it does this to try to investigate the different influences on this current climate emergency. And it looks to the past, the present and the future of this situation. Gallery one is split into two spaces. The first space is really a sort of preface to the broader exhibition. And it's one that is designed to foreground the influence and impact of colonization on our present sort of relationship towards the environment in this state and in this country. Here, in the first space, we have the work of three artists, Tintin Woolia, Warabar Weatherall, and Paul Bong. Tintin Woolia's work is entitled Some Memory Prevails and is um, a sculptural work featuring the dead specimen of a Ulysses butterfly. And the Ulysses is a butterfly that is uh, native to the rainforests of Queensland and is also recognisable as a tourism icon of the state. But this butterfly, due to its long and wide wingspan, is able to migrate between the rainforests of Queensland to Papua New Guinea and onto Indonesia. The artist Tintin Willier is interested in migration and in borders, and this interest for her is something that she navigates often in her work through insects and insects really as sort of symbols of um, living things which, you know, cross borders without um, much recognition. But for us as humans, um, borders are, you know, constructs of uh, colonial um, living and a colonial uh, psyche. And this work is a way to kind of reference um, the impact of migration and of borders on the lives of humans, but on the lives of um, animals and of plants. So this butterfly is known for its electric blue wings 
And rather than presenting that directly to the viewer, we look down upon it through a glass dome. And we can only glimpse these electric blue wings through the fractured reflection of a geodesic dome that sits beneath the butterfly. For Tintin, this approach is one that references the very fractured experience of memory for migrants. Um, so often migrants are forced to flee homelands due to kind of military intervention, but increasingly it is due to global warming. And Tintin's work considers how the memory and the trauma of migration is something which crosses across generations. So this work is a way to begin to frame what I would like to refer to as a settler psychology, a process of classification, control and possession towards the natural world and also towards other cultures. And borders are a symptom of this process. So displayed in close proximity to Tintin's work is the work of Warabar Weatherall. Warabar is a Brisbane-based artist who's also a street artist. And the work that Warabar has presented in the show is entitled To Know and Possess. And this is one of eight new commissions for the exhibition. To Know and Possess consists of 10 bronze cast plaques. And these plaques are based on uh, quite a familiar form to some, which is the index card, which is a system used within museums and galleries uh, more in the past. Um, obviously, increasingly, it's uh, a digital based collection. But here, the index card is used as a symbol of um, classification, museological classification and taxonomy. So these plaques feature the information drawn from these index cards. Warabar has been developing a research project in the last little while where he has approached various cultural institutions across Australia and inquired about Kamilaroi cultural artifacts within these collections and com started compiling the information of these various cultural objects held within these collections. So these plaques refer to the kind of process of acquisition of these objects and through their kind of sometimes, you know, fuzzy information or lack of detail, it sort of refers to as well the sort of barbarism of how these objects are acquired and brought into these collections. One of the plaques refers to the Mile Creek Massacre and refers to this shield, this object in this collection, as being left behind as part of this massacre. When we, you know, when we explore this history more closely, we come to realise that you know, the sort of innocent language that frames this work's collection is you know, far from the actual truth of um, you know, the devastation and destruction of that event. So these works for Warabar are a, a reflection on the death of these cultural objects that are being removed, forcibly removed through violence from their communities and placed into collections in which they're most often not even shown to the public or are infrequently shown to the public. So Warabar has decided to replicate these index cards in the same size, but instead of in paper, he has cast them with in, as bronze plaques. 
And the aesthetic of these plaques is one that's very familiar, I think, to many of us for as um, recognisable from memorials and from cemeteries. And so in a way, Warabara is reflecting on how these works as they enter in collections, it's actually marks a point of death at the hands of the archive. And next to Warabara is the work of Paul Bong. And Paul is a Yidinji printmaker based just outside of Cairns. And his work is very interested in um, cultural objects, specifically rainforest shields. And it includes th four works on paper. Uh, one central large work entitled Crossroads and three smaller works from a separate series, Dispersed Fragments. The central form is the more recognisable uh, shape of a rainforest shield, but here it is split. It's fractured in through the middle, upwards and across, recalling a cruciform shape. And for those who can look in a little, with a little bit more detail, you can see that... Um, uh, a bullet point marks the center of the shield. So these, these fractured shield fragments indicate the experience of sort of dispossession um, of the arrival of uh, the British Empire in Australia and illustrate in quite sort of vivid fa fashion um, that, you know, the fallacy of this idea of peaceful settlement in this country. But these objects aren't simply dispossessed things. They are inscribed with cultural lore and cultural information. And so the fragments, the dispersed fragments that sit around the outside of Crossroads, though that they are, they appear to be fractured components of a, of a, of a fuller shield, still carry on the cultural continuum of the Inji people. So these are living things with, with still great cultural significance, despite some allusion to dispossession. So these three works are a way for us to start to comprehend um, settler behavior towards the natural world and towards other cultures that the show goes on to articulate as perhaps the basis for the climate emergency that we find ourselves in now. In the second space connected to uh, this first sort of preface area is the work of Naomi Blacklock. Naomi's work is, one, again, one of the eight new commissions for the show. And the work is entitled Lacanomancy. It's a dark space at the centre of which is a pool of water surrounded by burnt wood. As you approach the pool, you'll notice that the, what could have first appear to be a still surface of water is actually far from it there are reverberations coming from beneath the pool. And this object and this sort of installation is a reflection on a type of divination which uses a basin, water, and oil. And as you drop pebbles into the water, the reverberations across the surface are read for interpretations of the future. And this process of divination is one that has its basis in um, ancient Mesopotamia. So for Naomi, this um, space is one that is um, quite literally a reflection on the future, but it's one that also recognises that the events of Black Summer were 
in many ways wholly predictable considering um, the situation that this country is in. The work is accompanied by video documentation of Naomi playing what is called a waterphone, which is a type of idiophone. It is it has water in its base and you play it with a violin bow and it has a very particular sound. Um, and they are tones of suspense. And these tones are ones that may be familiar to some as they are often used in horror film soundtracks. So the space itself has kind of quite a particular affect and it's one that is a sort of lyric reflection on scenes of destruction drawn from Black Summer. From here we'll move into the second part of the show and we will continue to consider the different themes that emerge from this context. So now we're entering into the main space of the exhibition. Um, and this space is one where we start to engage with various ways that artists visualize feelings of connection and disconnection with the environment. And also how our experience of the environment and the world around us is mediated by different themes. So this includes psychology, perception, language, politics. So these themes kind of are presented in different ways across the various works in this space. And we structure this space to begin with, with three works. By, one by Madonna Staunton, the late Madonna Staunton, another by the Melbourne-based Anne Wallace, and the third by the late Gordon Bennett. Madonna Staunton's work, The Light on the Hill, is an acrylic on linen. It's a small painting, and it's one that depicts a hilltop at night. The, top, the tip of the hill is glowing, and surrounding that scene is the title of the work, The Light on the Hill. This work is displayed at the end of a long corridor, and as you approach it, it sort of slowly comes into focus for the viewer. And it's a work that, for me, encompasses um, the sort of feelings of hope that perhaps we see in the landscape, but also feelings of desperation or dread. So this kind of knife's edge is um, a feeling that's probably familiar to many um, after the experiences of 2019-20. And these are aspects that are kind of quite common to Madonna's work. Madonna's career began as um, an abstract painter, but she moved into making collage works, which is probably what she's more well known for. And certainly in the context of the IMA, Madonna has a long history of exhibiting here. But later in Madonna's life, she returned to painting and started painting figurative works that also incorporate her um, interest and work in poetry. So these kind of feelings of kind of hope and will to life are often balanced in Madonna's work with a sense of kind of, of dread. Next, Madonna's work, as I said, is a work by Anne Wallace. And the work by Anne is entitled Fire in the Hills. And continuing Anne's interest in and its cinematic aesthetic through painting, this work depicts a very um, well-established and tasteful mid-century interior. We see a salmon-coloured armchair and footrest a table with various bouquets of flowers and a valance and sheer curtain that frames a window looking out to the outside world. 
But outside the window is a scene which is incredibly kind of dramatic, which is a blaze tearing up the hills of what appears to be California. For Anne, these scenes are ones that echo sensations of, of disquiet and the uncanny from everyday life. But for me, the work's power in this exhibition is one that describes a sense of emotional disconnection from scenes of destruction, a sense of over-familiarity with crisis and with emergency. And that is something which is a concern, I think, that these, that these subjects and these events are becoming so familiar and so common that we increasingly feel disconnected and, and you know, affectless in relation to it. The associations with the cinema are echoed by this kind of framing of the curtain. Could this, is this a window or is this a cinema screen? And the ambiguity here is, is important. And next to Anne is a work by Gordon Bennett. And this work is entitled Relative Absolute. And it's from a series that Gordon began in 1991 when he was based in um, the Champagne region of France as part of the Moen Chandon Australian Art Fellowship. And while Gordon was in France, he wasn't speaking the language and felt a certain sense of alienation. And so this work is, this, the works in this series rather are ones that engage with particular subjects fire, water, man, woman, child. And this particular work is fire. So at the heart of the image is this very direct symbol or icon of fire. And beneath it is the way that we describe fire in six languages. So this is a mixture of European and indigenous languages. So the point of this series for Bennett is that these subjects are ones that we consider to be absolute that are sort of shared and universal subjects, that, that fire is a thing which appears to be the same all of the world around. But as we understand it or name it in language, it changes and it's, it's entirely relative. But as we spend more time with the work, we come to realise that these particular subjects, which at first seem to be absolute, are themselves relative. So in the context of this show, this is an important framing for some broader themes around the cultural relativity of fire, especially in Australia, and especially for First Nations communities. From a European standpoint, so often we have this very damaging perception of fire as a thing which should be suppressed, that shouldn't exist within the landscape. But from a cultural fire point of view, fire has a very central and important role in the natural world as part of a process of rejuvenation and of management and, and maintaining um, natural spaces. So this cultural relativity is a theme that's expanded throughout the rest of the show. Opposite Gordon's work is a work that kind of um, jumps off from this point and is another new work in the show. And it's a work by the Brisbane-based artist Dale Harding. And Dale's work is entitled Morton Bay Ash Branch Smoulders Slowly. And this is a two-channel work which has a very intimate view of a piece of um, Morton Bay ash that is on fire. But the quality about Morton Bay ash, which is um, so important and integral to it, is that it is, has a capacity to burn very slowly and for a long period of time, to the point where 
as Dale describes, these logs could often be picked up while still on fire and carried across country to light further fires. And this sense of kind of close proximity to this subject, to this burning log, is, a is one that communicates a sense of sort of intimacy, but also of the innateness and centrality of fire to Australian flora. Fire in this work is shown to be a thing which belongs to this place and belongs to its natural elements. And the work is accompanied by a soundtrack of Dale on country um, setting up a fire and you can hear the sort of soft crackling of the fire as you watch and you can see plumes of smoke drifting slowly across the lens of the camera. Adjacent to Dale's work is another new work and that's by um, the Los Angeles based um, and Brisbane based Jemima Wyman. The work is entitled Haze and is a floor to ceiling chiffon curtain. And on the surface of the chiffon is a digital print which has been drawn from a separate photo collage of Jemima's. The photo collage, like many of Jemima's works, compiles many hundreds of different um, elements that she hand cuts. So Jemima draws on images that she finds across the internet normally focused on the theme of activism. Since 2019, Jemima's work has drifted away from a focus perhaps on activism and the aesthetics of activism in uh, people's bodies um, and instead is now focusing on plumes of smoke. And this work compiles many different plumes from across the world and from across various protests, both from protesters but also from um, police and military responses to activism. So in this work, these separate plumes are all from separate events. So there are plumes of smoke from Black Lives Matter protests, plumes of smoke from the pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, and there's also ceremonial smoke from protests against the Yukon Gorge detonation by Rio Tinto. Haze is the shortened version of this work's title, and I would encourage you all to read through the longer title as it carefully documents all of the various sources and times of these protests that these plumes of smoke come from. The effect in the space is as if we are seeing a smoke, a light, light line of smoke rising from a fire front, but rather than necessarily depicting a scene of sort of catastrophe, this is um, a scene that depicts um, the scale and, and power of, of protest across the planet. And from Jemima Wyman's work, we move into a separate space, but still part of this second part of the three-part exhibition. And this separate space features the new work of Brisbane-based Kinley Gray. This work is entitled Warrior. And as you move into the space, you're met by this hanging cinema screen-like structure. And as you watch carefully, you'll see that plumes of what appears to be smoke are sort of spilling and pooling from the ceiling of this space. So we're confronted with what at first appears to be sort of a scene of perhaps alarm or concern. But as you move around the structure and enter it, you find that 
this supposed smoke is actually generated by two small ceramic diffusers emitting a very gentle plume of water vapour. And this effect of smoke is generated by a carefully placed light, which increases the scale quite theatrically of these plumes. The work's title, Warrior, is a Latin word, and it's a word that has a link to the more presently known word reverence. So when we understand the word reverence, we think of feelings of sort of awe and wonder towards the subject. And so for Kinley, this interest in the natural world and of elements and of sort of cosmic bodies is a subject, are subjects that, that they feel a sense of reverence towards. But when we think of the word wary or there's an important aspect of an understanding of this term that is lost in the presence reverence. Wary or yes means awe and wonder towards the natural world, but it also means to be to fear the natural world. And fear is an important aspect of respect. So this work in its sort of careful focus on this subject of smoke and of water vapour tries to direct our mind towards the sort of majesty and wonder of the natural world, but it, one in which we have a sense of fear or respect as, as, as an important theme. Moving back into the central space is the final work of part two, and these are two new canvas works by Judy Watson. Australian Mean Temperature Anomaly is uh, a green, vibrantly green-coloured canvas. And across its surface is um, various graphs depicting the increasing temperature in the Australian continent over the last couple of decades. And in typical fashion for Judy, Judy engages with scientific data and um, figures, but helps us to kind of enter into these sometimes cold data sets by covering the work with these beautifully evocative washes of colour. So rather than being turned away by the you know, grim results of, and grim effects of, of science and these different results, we are sort of captured by Judy's interest in colour and drawn into these subjects. And Judy talks often of the importance of making an audience feel so that they can start to think about these subjects. And rather than simply being just graphs as well for Judy, these, these lines also start to recall perhaps groves of trees. And this colour that she's chosen, this vibrant green, is drawn from images of Kagari or Fraser Island's regrowth after the fires there, the devastating fires in 2020. So as much as this work is about the increasing precarity that we find in the climate within this country, there is also allusions to the possibility of regrowth. This sort of sense of perhaps positivity um, is offset somewhat by an accompanying lump of coal presented on a plinth to the left of the work. So for Judy, it was important to recognise that and connect this increasing temperature as reflective of a result of Australia's extractivist policies and as one of the largest exporters of coal in the world. Sitting opposite this work is the second canvas, which is entitled Fire Danger Rating. And this work has a palette which refers more to fire. There's oranges and reds 
And the central form is this kind of denuded tree branch that appears to have been stripped from a fire. In the background is various fan-like fire danger ratings that many people would be familiar from seeing on remote regional road networks. So for here, there is sort of a greater sense of kind of threat um, which opposes uh, the green work which has more of a sort of sensation of rejuvenation. From here, we would move into the final part of the exhibition. And this part of the show is one that engages with TJ Demos's term, the end game. And Demos describes the end game as sort of a rapidly approaching um, termination point or terminal point for um, 21st century society. So here, these three works are engagements with sort of speculative futures that this climate emergency might find us in. The first work that you will meet is by Brisbane-based Erica Scott. This is a work which introduces a little point of humour in a way, a sense of irreverence to this theme, but is one that also has, um, you know, perhaps indirect associations with 21st century material culture. Erica's work is one that is very interested in the sort of discarded and outmoded objects of our material lives. And so the work itself is a trampoline that Erica has painted the surface of with liquid nails to create this kind of silt-like mud flat. In the surface of this is embedded various objects, aquarium sculptures of crashed helicopters, knife holders, water coolers, and camping lights. And across its surface is embedded fractured keys from keyboards and green twinkle lights. So in a way, this is sort of a, you know, abstract reflection on the discarded objects that we, from our lives, that are perhaps, you know, left behind to kind of, to rot or decompose in our absence. And this work is propped up on a, what is effectively a decorative plate stand that Erica has scaled up to the size of this nearly three meter high object. Opposite this is the work of Hannah Bronte. Um, this work from 2017 is entitled um, Uma's Tongue Molten at 6,000 Degrees. And it's a work that engages with the impacts of um, extractivist policies and processes, including fracking and drilling. And the results of these processes are voiced through the planet. Um, and this voice is one that is um, spoken here by a matriarchy of indigenous women. So Bronte's video is one that also um, combines scenes of this destruction as a result of extractivist policies. We see plumes of smoke, of erupting sort of volcanoes, a uh, sense of destruction. But this is also contrasted with scenes of sort of verdant um, landscapes of rainforests and of reefs. So the importance of um, centering um, indigenous voices and empowering indigenous voices are things which are not disconnected from the environmental crisis. And this is one that refers back to Demos's point that if we are to really confront the issue of the climate emergency, it's one that he describes as eco ecologically, ecology as intersectionality. So 
for us to kind of make true progress and to start to encourage change, it's not a problem that we can look at simply economically or, you know, politically. It's one that also must, you know, um, look at the impacts of racism and the impacts of colonialism on um, the climate emergency and the eco ecological situation that we find ourselves in. And the final work is of Michael Candy, um, who's a Gold Coast-based artist, and the work is entitled Azimuth. And it is a mechanized sculpture um, which has been designed to function a little like the second hand of a clock. So it's shaped, it's a has a conical form, shaped a little bit like a shuttlecock, and has a flywheel in it, which is um, tech which is used to often reposition satellites in orbit around the Earth. So here, this kind of timepiece-like mechanism rolls around on the gallery floor at a roughly one second, every one second it turns over. So it has a metronome-like frequency to it. At the same time as it's measuring sort of time, it's also actually sanitizing the exhibition space. So its form is covered with 12 UVC bulbs. Um, UVC is um, a technology that's has been used for quite a while, but more, most recently has been used as an um, alternative to typical chemical disinfectants. So as this work rotates, it also is um, sanitizing the exhibition space and killing um, dangerous bacteria. UVC has, um, you know, great qualities, uh, but it's also something which is harmful to humans. And so with, you know, direct exposure, um, you know, th there can be some, you know, not great results, but if standing behind the welding curtain, we are protected from this. So this work kind of functions a little bit like a sort of doomsday or apocalyptic <laughs> clock, um, but it's unclear if it's sort of counting down or counting up. So this is sort of a perhaps slightly ominous end to the exhibition, but it's one that really places um, this conversation around ecological destruction in the present and in the context of COVID-19, which at first might seem to be a separate issue but the United Nations and the World Health Organization have released some quite compelling research that shows that habitat destruction um, and the increasing proximity of different species and animals means that zoonotic viruses such as coronavirus are um, generally transmitted because of habitat destruction or at least habitat destruction has a strong influence on its transmission. So the pandemic era we find ourselves in and the climate emergency uh, are not, you know, different things. They are deeply related. Separate to the main exhibition space and sort of uh, the final work of the show is a work by Tracy Moffat and Gary Hilberg. And this is a video work from 2007 entitled Doomed. And this work is a sort of fast-paced montage of various clips from across 20th and 21st century cinema, depicting the various kind of speculations of the ends of the world, whether it be from asteroids or natural disasters or um, various cataclysms. But it's done so in a way that makes a sense of kind of frivolity to these scenes, but a sense of their over-familiarity as well.